gospel is written in the 8th chapter of the gospel according to St. Mark, beginning at the 27th verse. Glory to you. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel save For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in his glory of the Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. As human beings, our identity, our identity is really pretty important to us. Who am I? Our name, our place, our family, our occupation all tell us who we are and give us our identity, our sense of who we are, our sense of self. Now, as I thought about how important names and titles are, I was reminded, and this has happened more than once, of a PBS program that I watched with my kids when they were little. You may remember, it was called The Electric Company, and its intention was to teach children to read. But I think part of the intention was also to keep the attention of parents who had to sit there, because it was a very interesting program. Uh, there's a particular episode, and uh, we're going to play it now for you on the screen, uh, and then I'll talk a little, it's called, I, I call it, Who Is It? But you can, you can watch it here. There might possibly be a little uh, ad coming up. We hope it's not inappropriate, but okay. <laughs> I, think, I think I got past it.
I promise you that it, it was it's a pure coincidence that it had something to do with that plumbing problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the point of that? Well, it's funny. And I love funny things. But there's, and that may kind of show you how my mind works, which is probably But it reminds me of that conversation that went on between Jesus and the disciples. They may have been asking a similar question. Who is it? Who is this Jesus person that we're following along? He's certainly uh, certainly worth following. He's certainly exciting. Great things are happening. But who is it? Over and over again, as they walked with Jesus and saw the incredible things that happened whenever he ministered to people, they must have been asking. So Jesus then turns to his disciples and asks them two questions. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? You know, names and titles are important to us. As you know, many, many of you know, I was an Army chaplain for uh, a, a, quite a while in the National Guard and the Army Reserve. And in the Army, people are all about titles. They're all about, everything you are is based on what's on your shoulder or on your sleeve. That's good for chaplains because as officers, we could relate with other officers and it helped us to get things done. And, wouldn't happen otherwise. But it was frequently a barrier when it came to talking to enlisted people. It took time, which we often didn't have, to form relationships there. In the army, their someone's entire identity would be tied up in what their rank was and what was on their shoulder. There were many people who, who were all about the rank, all about who they were. But they were hollow inside. Apparently, Jesus knew people were talking about him, and it was not all positive. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus asks the disciples. Oh, they answered, Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others say you're one of the prophets come to lead us. But the disciples apparently didn't, weren't willing to repeat was what the gossip that was going on. It was that he was a charlatan or a magician or a liar or a blasphemer or the devil himself. It was all out there. And Jesus knew all that. But he wanted to hear where the disciples were and where they were with that gossip. Because what they believed about Jesus was the basis for Jesus' ministry. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asks. And this is the question churches dealt with through the centuries. It comes down to those few little words. Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? This question and how it's answered is so important that all four of the gospel writers include this story or something similar to it. One commentator put it this way. Throughout the ages, various individuals have attempted to answer the question posed by Jesus. For instance, the French writer uh, Ernest Red Renan said that Jesus was a sentimental idealist. Bruce Barton, a businessman, said that Jesus was the greatest salesman who ever lived. William Hirsch, a psychologist, said that Jesus conformed to the clinical picture of paranoia. Paranoia indeed. And of course, many of us remember a musical uh, program called Jesus Christ Superstar. It's been suggested that Jesus was good but misguided man a great moral teacher, or that he was an egomaniac, a 
A while back at a pastor's study I attended, someone compared Jesus to a sports coach or a life coach. Please. On the other hand, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor martyred by the Nazis at the end of World War II, said this, Jesus was a man for others. C.S. Lewis famously said that either Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, or he was a madman on the level of someone who claimed to be a poche. The writer, the businessman, the psychologist quoted above and others who think that they have Jesus pegged as one thing or another simply are simply projecting their own prejudices and their own preconceptions. Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis on the other hand I think have been exactly right. Jesus was the Son of God who lived and died for others. So when Jesus says, who do people say that I am, it's not an idle question. He's not just making conversation. It was Jesus' way of bringing the disciples and us to the ultimate question of faith. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, is right there with a ready answer. You're the Messiah, he says. So who is this Messiah, this Son of Man? we're talking about. Here are some of the many descriptions the way uh, scripture describes the Messiah. Jesus, the divine physician, the king of glory, a prophet, a bridegroom, the light of the world, the door, the vine, the high priest, the firstborn of creation, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the bright and morning star, and ultimately the alpha and the omega, the beginning of everything. Not one of those suggests that Jesus was anything but divine. So it might be understandable if the disciples and we are confused from time to time. And Jesus is leading them and us into something deeper, I think. Something much more profound. To the ultimate question of, who, of, of all for humanity is who do you say that I am? So Peter's answer is a good one. It's full of hope, and it's full of trust. And it's, I think, where we all must go. You are the Messiah, Peter says. Luther put it this way, I care not whether he be Christ, but that he be Christ for you. Now Luther tended to hyperbole himself. And he may be on how much beer he did but he, but he, and as Jesus did, he, as Jesus did, often said things that would get our attention. Certainly Luther cared that Jesus is the Christ. But Luther was echoing Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? Because after all, after all is said and done, it is who Jesus is to each one of us that really counts. So Jesus is once again leading the disciples and us to make a commitment. Peter's right. He's right in his answer and he's right there with it. The answer is faithful. But Peter still doesn't really understand the consequences of his answer. And he won't until after the resurrection. It isn't but a moment later in, in Matthew's Gospel where, where Peter, Jesus says, Peter turns on Jesus and says, you can't be that because we don't want you to die. He's 
when Jesus goes on to explain the consequences of following him, Peter will have none of it. We can't have him suffer and die. Peter, you see, is still expecting glory and power, and he doesn't want to hear about the suffering and the death and the work of the gospel. Of course, in Matthew's version of this story, the Bible tells us that the entire church is based on Peter's faith statement. You are the Messiah, Jesus says. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Jesus says, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you this, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So Jesus intends to build his church based on the faith of Peter and those who follow Jesus. That's you and me, folks. It comes down to us. The important thing to remember here is that little word, and. The church you see is built on the faith of you and me. Not just on you, not just on me, not even just on Peter, but on our faith. Guided by the Holy Spirit. You and me and Peter and all of us together. If it were up to you or to me or even Peter, the church would fail. Someone once said here, the proof that the church is divinely inspired is that it has survived all these centuries in spite of its clergy. Well, folks, I resemble that. Pun intended. But I'd like to add to that that it's a miracle that the church has survived all these centuries, including its lay people as well. We can't do it on them. But God has given us the Holy Spirit, the gift of one another, the gift of community, the fellowship of Christians living and dead, the church militant and the church triumphant. And even in these times of social distancing and quarantine and stupid masks, we are still the church. We are still that fellowship. And ours is a fellowship of, uh, that's infinitely deeper than the Sunday morning coffee, as important as that is. It's deeper than shaking hands or a quick hug and passing of the peace, as important as that is. It even goes deeper than the potluck, and believe it or not, that's true. I know it's hard to believe it. But in this community, this church, God has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us. We're given worship and song to lift us up. We're given scripture and each other to teach us and to strengthen us. We're given only baptism to assure us and to make us all family as adopted children of God. And we're given the body and blood of our Lord in all communion. Jesus has also given the church what's been often called the office of the keys. And I tell you, Peter, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, there's tons of jokes about Peter standing at the gates with the keys. Who's going to get in and who's going to keep out? And it's also, the office of the keys has often been used as a means of control, a means to gain and hold power over others in the church, to frighten or condemn people. But the simple truth is that the office of the keys is a call to forgiveness and a call to grace. What it simply means is that when I forgive others, the Holy Spirit is free to work grace in my life 
and in the grace and in the life of our people. And that forgiveness is the church. When we are the church, when we act like the church, when we offer and receive forgiveness from God's grace and from one another, when we are loving and forgiving and community and in hope and, and, and a community that worships God together in faith, we are that rock of faith that supports and upholds the church. And as Jesus tells us, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks the disciples. And us. And who we say Jesus is makes all the difference in the world. With Peter, we proclaim, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Peace of God that passes all understanding to our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus. And we'll take